coming up on another Socceroos themed front page football podcast. We've got all of our reaction from the Socceroos 4-1 defeat to the world champions France this morning. I'll be joined by Antonis Pagonis, Cody Ajada and Jack Tuhill, one of our new writers here at Front Page Football as well, to dissect the defeat, all the talking points from the game, the first 25 minutes, how good was it, the last 65 minutes, how maybe not dreadful, that's a bit of a harsh word, but uh, all the all the talking points and, and pulling apart really why why uh, the Socceroos eventually succumbed to that uh, defeat after such a promising start. But without further ado, I don't, I don't want to waste any time because uh, we've got a big podcast coming up here, big reaction pod, and uh, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And today, it's our first Socceroos World Cup reaction pod. We are reacting to Socceroos, unfortunately, suffering a heavy defeat at the hands of France in their opening game in Group D. 4-1 was the final score. Craig Goodwin giving the Socceroos the lead um, and a really incredible moment. Soccer is finally scoring a goal from open play at the World Cup. And then France really turning things around. Adrian Rabio with a header to equalize. Olivier Giroud scoring twice. Kylian Mbappe also on the score sheet. 4-1 was how it finished today. I am joined by FPF writers Antonis Pagonis, Cody Ajada, and Jack Tuhill. Antonis, we'll start with you. Um, give us give us your immediate thoughts after, after that uh, result. Well, as Robbie Slater said, what do we expect? So, um, personally, yeah, you're disappointed. But, again, you're coming up against the world champions. I do have to say that I think I'm still kind of on a high as a South Australian from Craig Goodwin opening the scoring, which is just an unreal moment for South Australian football. Again, it's a very disappointing result, not just the scoreline, but I think kind of how it ended up playing out especially after gaining the position of power early on. But, yeah, it's disappointing. But, again, a great moment that I'm very happy about. Absolutely. Um, Cody, how did you see it? Um, well, look, if you're asking how I feel, I feel flat. I feel disappointed. Um, I think it's more because everything that we saw in that game, the issues that we're obviously going to be touching on later, are very fixable even with the squad that we do have so yeah it's i've got a range of emotions going through my head but ultimately even with the high that we had in the first 15 20 minutes ultimately i do feel disappointed and jack what about you matt um i'm probably slightly more optimistic than the rest of you i quite enjoyed that 15 minutes to be honest I'm clinging for dear life onto that 15 minutes. That's when life peaked. All right. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, you know, as the game sort of crept in, unfortunately, the Socceroos couldn't stay on the French, which again, as Antonis mentioned, was to be expected. Um, however, you know, when you come up against the world champions 
and you get an opportunity like that, you can't help but feel a little bit let down that you couldn't, you know, go on with it and, and, and get a result, especially considering that I personally believe before the game that uh, with the problems within the French squad um, heading into the World Cup, they're not in the best of form. Australia had every opportunity to, to gain some favour and perhaps a point from that game. So I'm going to give my thoughts on the immediate um, Twitter reaction probably from, from this game. This seems like on soccer Twitter, there's like four groups that have now kind of been born out from this. And there's like this, the Graham Arnold haters group. There's the clinging on to the 15 minutes group, uh, Jack, which you're probably in. Then you've got the, well, you know, whatever it was France, we kind of expected this group. And then the other group I'm trying to remember, I don't know, unless you guys can identify it for me, there was definitely a fourth. Uh, um, but, the ones that continually bash Aussie football? Ma- no, but that's kind of the Graham Arnold hating group, though. So I don't know. That kind of falls oh, under. I'm talking it's like a- outside Graham Arnold. There's people that are passionate about Australian football that would be disappointed with Graham Arnold. And based on today, probably rightly so. I'm more talking about the ones that, no matter what's going on... Oh, sorry, I remembered it. ...is to yeah, yeah. bring down the Socceroos in Australian football. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I remembered it. It was probably just the group that was just showing a lot of respect to France. That was probably the fourth one. So, anyway, there, there seems to be a lot of kind of varying opinions. Um, let's let's kind of get into it. So, look, we'll start with, we'll start with Graham Arnold because it, it's kind of a bit of a hot topic at the moment. And, you know, say what you want about France and... You know, the French national team are the world champions and they've got absolutely, you know, a shit ton of individual quality that we just can't match. But in terms of the game itself, I personally thought, you know, we had probably some of the best, you know, 20, 25 minutes of of football that I've seen Australia play at the World Cup, um, certainly since, you know, going back to to 06 or even, you know, maybe 2014 uh, against maybe Holland under Ange, you know, but really... Those were for very, very brief moments, but, you know, since maybe 06, so we've actually played a, a good chunk of a match that well. So, you know, we have the moment with Goodwin. It, it's unbelievable. Australia's how comfortable we were um, in, in that first 25 minutes was kind of unbelievable, um, more from a French perspective that they, they took so long to really get into the game. And then, of course, you know, the, the goal, the two goals happen and they completely flipped the game. But... Um, Antonis, I'll ask you, uh, are we absolutely, you know, 100% right to to go in on Graham Arnold and, and criticise him for not adapting to the game at, at 2-1? Well, I think when we talk about adapting, I think we started off the game, like you said, quite well. We looked quite comfortable. And I think comparing to four years ago, one thing that I was happy to see and it disappointed me later was it felt like every time we went up, it felt like we were actually viable to score from open play, mm. which is a far cry from four years ago. So that's why I got very disappointed that after you go 2-1 down, you kind of stop attacking. You're viable. They're there. Like they're a very good side, but they're there for the taking. Why don't you attack them? For me, what disheartened me is, okay, you go 2-1 down, it could have been much worse in the first half if Mbappe finishes that golden chance, but you're 2-1 down. You're still in it. You return in the second half, a completely different side. You're not, where is that threat you had in the first 15, 20 minutes of the first half? I said before we started recording, it's kind of felt like we were kind of existing out there in the second half. You're not doing much mm. out there. What are you doing? And then you bring in these exciting players like Jason Cummings, like um, Gary and Quo, and you only throw them in at 4-1 after the game's gone? 
And yeah. again, you're still, it still felt we didn't change anything. We just changed the players, not our attitudes. So, yeah, that's what disappointed me really, that when it was there for the taking, we kind of just said, okay, this isn't for us. And yeah. France is France. You know, they're going to keep creating. They're going, if you're going to invite them to attack you, they're going to score against you. Simple as that. And Tony, so I kind of but agree with, with all those points. But um, I don't, you know, we can blame Arnie, shift blame onto him as a coach. Um, we've all seen him at Sydney FC and also briefly in Japan um, in terms of his tactics. And, and to to probably be a little bit unfair from what I've seen, he, he's not the most adaptable tactical mind during a game situation. But I want to highlight someone else who deserves um, his portion of the blame. Um, Aaron Moy, mm-hmm. for that first 25 minutes, played unbelievable. He looked comfortable. He was controlling the midfield so well. As soon as that first goal went in, his head dropped. And look, to be fair, Aaron Moy's been in fantastic form for Celtic. And I, I, I've seriously doubt he's sort of, you know, he's supposed to be a leader in that squad and his leadership capabilities going into the Tunisia and Denmark games if all of a sudden uh, a goal goes in and he's going to drop like that because for the first... I think, it, I think it's a bit harsh to pinpoint Moy. Like, I get it. Uh, I get it because he's the fulcrum of the team and, you know, I debated, you know, whether we could actually play him further, further up yes, the pitch and not yes. play him at six before the game. But to be honest, as soon as I saw the opening 10 minutes, I was like, no, well, I'm wrong. We, he has to play at six, and 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 this is where oh, he can control the game. Um, and oh, I agree, hundred percent. I'm kind of with that. both of you. Yeah, I think that he started the game off very well at the six, but as Jack said, after we conceded, his head kind of dropped, and he started making these small errors. And in that position, as the metronome of the team, you know, the rest of the team gets affected by that. Do I think? In a team, when you're playing against a team like France, there's so much movement. Is more your six from a defensive perspective? I don't know. But there's a lot that. of there's For also me. a lot of pressure on him to initiate things going forward. So what what I'm saying is, it's very clear with Australia noticing early on. Every time Australia won the ball back, they wanted to kind of retain the ball quickly with like a couple three four quick short passes to actually get France kind of basically off them with that initial press and then they could kind of keep it and start their own attack. But France kind of catched onto that and then they just really ramped up their counter press, right? As soon as Australia won the ball back, they started to swarm and then and then we didn't deal with it. So what I mean is it's really hard for Aaron Moy as a lone six to win possession back and then be suffocated and there's no real out ball. And this for me probably speaks a little bit more of the striker problem. Now, yeah, I am going to open the Mitch can of worms and look people i've seen some people defend his performance and stuff like this i I don't really get it like personally i don't really understand what mitch duke what unique quality he has that brings what it brings to this squad in saying that i think his performance and probably lecky's performance and even though goodwin got the goal probably wasn't as involved as as maybe would have liked i think that the attacking players kind of can be, um, what's the word? Maybe sheltered from criticism because that the manager didn't really set up in a way, particularly at two one, to actually get the best out of them. So it, it's tough because you know you could say 
had you know Cummings been out there or McLaren been out there, they might have been more serviceable kind of outballs for Moy, Irvine, McGree. But at the same token, you know, we're so penned in and we're so deep that it's like I don't think it mattered who you put up there or you know who was maybe in midfield anyway. Uh, I don't know what you guys what your thoughts are on that. No, no, it's exactly yeah. right. It's um the biggest thing when people bring up Duke. I saw him on the ball once when he had that shot from long range that was very, very close. And look, if that had gone in, maybe our discourse around him is different. But other than that, all from, from a mistake though, that, that should be that should be made. That was, I think, it was sure many. Like, just look, a, he comes. Look, yeah, yeah. The one thing that we talk about he has that he has that he's really good at is how he presses. Does that help in that situation? Of course, he'll force mistakes from defenders. He'll take a chance. He'll take a chance. One thing we don't do as a team is get the ball to him in open play. We talked about how we scored today. It was our wingers combining. It wasn't them getting the ball to Duke. One thing we do struggle to do, I've spoken about it on multiple podcasts with you guys. We struggle with the number nine in this country at all levels, in all our national teams, even on the women's side of the game. The only striker I've seen get involved in a game probably is Sam Kerr, and that's a different kind of, that's a different kettle of fish. But if you're looking at this team in particular, struggling to get the number nine into the game, it circles back to the original original point where is Arnie able to avoid criticism in this game? And you can't say you, you can't say he is. Um, I understand. Look, there might be some people that are still trying to back in. There'll be people saying that, yeah, look, it's France. We were going to struggle to get a result anyway. But the reality is that first twenty five minutes laid out a blueprint to how we can get over the top of them. And the moment we conceded a goal, it was like, okay, yeah, now we've got to change the game plan. When in reality. It was still working. Like we didn't need to shit the bed after one goal. Yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly right. And and the thing is, you know, and it was really interesting having the Saudi Arabia result against Argentina happen. You know, with that much you know close proximity to the Socceroos game because you watch them and you know they played such a high line, which was really interesting. And to be honest, it was probably more like Argentina don't really know what they were kind of trying in possession. But more to the point. They were 1-0 down after 10 minutes and they could have easily just kind of thrown in the towel and gone damage damage limitation mode, but they didn't. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting. That's an AFC nation. You know, that's a nation which we think that we are on equal footing with, at least some, some would say. It's a nation that, that we yeah. play in so often as well. And it's interesting because I, remember, I think back to the Saudi Arabia game when they played at Bank West and mm. they genuinely just wanted to sit off us and try and limit our chances yeah. to score. And now yeah. they're going into a team that is probably one of the equal favorites to win the World Cup. And it's like, we don't care. But, but you know what's interesting as well? Can did, I just does, yeah, but did, a question? Yeah, and turn us one sec. Did Saudi Arabia change from what they did in qualifying to suit Argentina? No, they didn't. That's the thing, right? Uh, if I remember that game at Bank West, probably a little bit, of course, probably a little I, I bit, think, right? I think, I think they did. No, 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 probably a little bit. But what I'm saying is, you know, if I remember that game at Bank West, I'm pretty sure, although they were maybe sitting in, that line was pretty high. It's not like it was, you know, we're going to sit on basically our six-yard line or 18-yard line. Do you understand? It probably like, wasn't not... a thing if they changed um, probably the final. They kept the key pass of their, their style yeah. of play. Yeah. I think it was just more their attitude and approach to the match, where in Australia, they're mm. probably looking at, go, we need a result here, so we'll do what we can to get a result. Whereas yeah. with Argentina, it was... We don't care if we get a result or not. We're just going to show them what we can do, and it turned out to be better. Yeah, but Antonis, it's yeah. proactive. You know, that's the difference. It's not we're going to sit and we're going to wait for you. It's we are going to encounter you, and you are going to have to go past us. And we saw someone like even Messi struggle with that when 
all these bodies were coming at him. And at the end of the day, are those individual players that much better than us? I don't think so. So where's the difference there's, on the bench? There's a point that um, Harry Kuehl made, I'm pretty sure it was during the match. Which one? Look, I don't know. Oh, Harry. What, what do we think of the kill commentary? Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Cody. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I was. Like I was saying I was watching it with a few of my mates, and we we're kind of talking, to be honest, throughout the whole game. So I didn't really catch a lot of it, but I've seen a lot of positivity lot of around his. Around Insight his was great. He was sort of like a twelve-year-old on Fortnite, though, breathing into his mics and making little groans. So you know, there's what you know. Yeah, results-based analysis. Results-based analysis, it was great. But uh, unfortunately, you know, that was the only downer was the, the little bit of mouth-breathing I sort of sort of heard. But he, he provided some really good insights. Um, sorry to jump in there. I like oh, no. Well, look, one of those good insights that I wanted to bring up. He did notice, France, every time they got the ball out wide, they were looking across in the box. They weren't just putting their random crosses in and hoping for the best, which is kind of what we do in this country. There was, they did the exact same thing every single time. They looked to cut back behind us because we were sitting that deep, so close to our goal, leaving all that space in front of our front line, in front of our back line, sorry. And they had room to just cross, cross the ball back, find a man, get a shot away. Did it exactly, work? Exactly. No, but how many chances did they create from it? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, not, like lot. you said, not the random crossing that we tend to do. It was very targeted. Adelaide, you Adelaide, Antonis. What? <laughs> you could see that, okay. They know we're sitting in a low block. They know the space will be there. It's targeted and it worked. And you give them that many chances, they're going to score. And we talk about how we felt disrespected when Kanata said, we don't know what the names are. You don't need to know what the names are if you know how they're going to play. And they obviously did the homework mm. on it. There was something that Kamavinga said in the lead up to the game. He said, look, we've done our homework on and we know what their style of play is. They definitely did the homework. Like, look, people... You know, that's probably just a mind games tactic. Like, you know, I think people look way too they much have, into that they stuff. They have triple the scouting network that we do. They know like, what we're going to do in this game. You know, they and people know. were like, yeah, I think I think Giroud said in one of his press conferences, and this might have been six or seven days out. Like, oh, we have, you know, we don't, we haven't basically done our stuff on them yet. It's like, you know, that doesn't mean guys that they're not going to do anything on them. It just literally means that they haven't got into camp and really like had a look yet. So you know, relax. Yeah. But do you think Arnie was looking at France for six months? I mean. Yeah, you know, oh, since the draw draw came out, I don't I don't think that um he was writing you know massive tactical books like you can you can ask a coach to do that, but um you know in my experience you know the more immediacy about how you're going to play against the team the better because you the more you can get it into the heads and the frontal core of the mind. I think the most disappointing thing was the lack of that, that scene. It seemed like Arnie wanted to play Arnie way instead of playing. A, a game which would, you know, if you were playing against uh, France, you don't want the ball going out wide because you have Mbappe and Dembele on the wings who are very, very skillful and quick, who can get in behind your full backs because as is Bayich and Atkinson can't match that pace, you want to be physical in the midfield. And for the first 25 minutes, we're very physical in the midfield. We got to the second balls. We made all the second efforts. We got shoulder to shoulder. We committed some some. I would say nice fouls, if that's a word, in mm. in trying to stifle the French counter press and, and transition from you know defense to attack. And then, like we've touched on, the first goal goes in, and the intensity in the midfield drops. Um, I didn't mean to single out Aaron Moy as much, but I, I think um, you know in the role he played, I, 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 I think, think yeah, Jack. I think as well, 
you know, look, we, we all love Jackson Irvine for his work rate and stuff, and it's great. But a few people saying to me, and I agree, look, on the ball, it is it is an issue with him sometimes. You know, he does really struggle to be composed, to actually pick a pass. And look, it's it's a luck, you know, it kind of is a luxury for us to have an Aaron Moy type player because we don't really have many. And we might touch on Devlin in a minute as well. But, yeah. you know... Yeah, it it really would be nice to have maybe two guys who could actually hold it in midfield in terms of not being able to just maybe be combative, but actually, you know, hold up play uh, and, and maybe dictate the tempo a little bit as well. But mm-hmm. Antonis, yeah. Um, with Moy, because we um, Jack touched on that, how we were physically in the midfield to start off with. And you can start off with that, but is Moy in his prime anymore that... This was never a strength of his game, and he's not the player he used to be anymore. Should we really be putting him in that position against the champions of the world of the last World Cup? For me, as you touched on, someone like Devlin or a backer, someone that even though they're not the name or have the technical quality of a Moy, can at least fight for you in the midfield, win those balls back, and then you can deploy Moy somewhere like the Irvine position or even further up if you want and play into his strengths. And then you are not forcing him because even against Peru, which was a much lower quality physicality game, you could see Moy was gassed by the end of an opposition. And against a side like that, you have more time on the ball. He'll look a lot better. Against France, when they start coming at you though, it starts getting exposed in my eyes. Well, I think think the other thing is, like, so Arnold's come out post game and he said that, um, you know, we kind of ran out of legs and stuff like that. To be honest, it's it's definitely a comment that's kind of to deflect away from from any of his decisions, um, in my opinion. And I think it's it's kind of a bullshit thing to say when you've got someone like Cameron Devlin and Keanu backs on the bench who you can easily bring on to restore energy in the team. Um, so like personified, yeah, you know, and <laughs> like and it's kind of like you know, I get you got three games to use the squad, but. You know, how many times do we come out of this Australia out of World Cups? I mean, think particularly about 2014 and it's like, oh, if we had done this and if we had done this and if we had done that and it's like, you can't have regrets. you got three games. Like, you know, it's not about our next game we'll do it. Or ne- It's like by the time you're thinking that, tournament's over. So, you know, definitely for Tunisia, you know, he, he's, he's definitely going to have his, you know, a lot of thoughts that are going to cross his mind. There's going to be a lot of ideas that I'm sure they're going to discuss as a coaching team. And I just hope that we probably utilize the squad maybe a bit more against Tunisia as well. Like that there are options that weren't used today that could have just, just to see how they would have gone. And particularly the ones that did come on earlier would, would have been nice as well. Well, let's talk about positives then. That's a perfect <laughs> Yeah, because there were positives in part of this game. I mean, we talked about Absolutely. the first twenty-five minutes where we played really, really well. I mean, I've got some stats in that first half. We had a xG of zero point five two. Second half, it was a flat zero. And yeah. to be honest, the French didn't get much better in that second half because their xG in the first half was two point one six. xG in the second was two point oh five. So defensively, whilst we were far from perfect, very far from perfect, um, I'd like to add because we only won 54% of our tackles. Well, and you know, most Jack, of those- Jack, what's really disappointing is, and I think Mark Bosnich made a comment about it on SBS, like all four goals actually are uh, avoidable. 
Mm. Like they really are. You know, the first goal is the second phase from a corner. Like you got to get out as a team. You have to get out. Like that's just 101 defending, right? Second goal is obviously... It's interesting the second goal because you could actually criticize Moy for playing that ball to Atkinson. I mean, you could see the press was coming and you, you can kind criticize of Ryan for playing that short ball in the first place. Well, in the too. first place. And you could also criticize Ryan. Like, where's he going? Like, I, I don't understand wh- why he's running out like that, to be honest. I don't really get that. Um, and obviously, look, it's a bad touch by Atkinson. You should probably just play it back first time to Suter. You know, you can kind of pick pick it apart all you want, to be honest. It's just a error as a team in playing out from the back that that's been capitalized on. And I mean, the other two goals, like particularly the Mbappe header, I mean, it looks like Rolls isn't really watching the ball. He's kind of so focused on Mbappe, which, which you understand, you know, and to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed. I thought this could have been a moment for Kai Rolls to kind of have, you know, a really nice game alongside Harry Suter, who Harry Suter definitely in the first half was superb. Um, and particularly his covering, I thought of Atkinson uh, and, and helping him out on that side was excellent against Mbappe. But Rolls kind of looked really nervous, I think, and he just struggled on on the big stage. But, you know, for Mbappe to get in between both of our centre-backs, and it's not like, you know, Mbappe is a good header of the ball, but he's not like he's renowned for it or anything, and score and score a goal like that was was disappointing as well. It's the first game together, though, and it showed, didn't it, that yeah. there's not that chemistry, there's that understanding. As you said, Rolls, biggest game of his life. Do you bring in Bailey right next game? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. How, think... Well, it's interesting in terms of you haven't even mentioned Dejanek. Like, it seems like Dejanek is kind of, I don't know, like on the periphery now. Or yeah, well, I, I think it was interesting. Came out a right back for Atkinson, didn't he? Yeah. Well, he, yeah, we know he can play there. I'm pretty sure he actually made his debut for the soccer as a right back, yeah. if I remember. Um, yeah. Under, under uh, he used to he used to play um a, a lot of sort of right back slash uh, number six centre defensive mid for um. The oh I can't forget I can't remember his European club. Um, it would have been made... the club in Germany, um, which I can't remember. Wasn't Obviously, it? He played for Red Star. He played for Red Star, of course. Red Star. Red Star. Yeah, oh, that's, that's the one that's, you're talking about. That's the one yeah, I'm talking about. Red Star. He played as almost a utility backslasher, defensive midfielder, because yeah. they played um, sometimes played a three at the back sort of system. Yeah. Um, he would sort of push up a little bit higher and be more of a ball playing center back, which Look, in this game, I don't think Milos Dejanek helps us um, against France with the the, the particular skills no, he I'll has. I'll tell you, Jack, can I pose you a question? Would Thomas Deng have helped us a little bit better at right back as opposed to Nathaniel Atkinson? Because it's something I said before the game. And look, I think it's, you got Kylian Mbappe. So, you know, either way, you kind of, it's, it's apples and oranges, right? But still, Deng is physically more of a specimen. We know that. He could probably handle and bad back from that point of view and he is quick as well you probably just don't get anything maybe the other way going forward but as, as we saw it wasn't really maybe a game for australia as much to to get something from their fullbacks in an attacking sense look um i think that sort of i think when he kind of gets mbappe i think atkinson was definitely exposed exposed early and, and, yeah. and couldn't get back into the game um, and I think that's more of sort of a composure as a young player. And when you come up against someone like Mbappe, who you feels on top of you when you're that young, it's very difficult to, to switch your mind off of what's happened before and how to defend him properly. Um, I think that Thomas Dang, maybe, uh, I'm not too sure. He hasn't got a lot of international experience, a lot like Atkinson. I think Frank Karasic, um, again, would 
would have been my starting right back, mainly because of his his physical, you know, physicality. Um, he doesn't provide much going forward, which again, it didn't really matter all too well. Um, I think the the sort of if you're looking to compare, if you look at how Behich dealt with Dembele at times to versus how Atkinson dealt with Mbappe, Behich was nowhere near perfect. In fact, he's He's sort of trying to transition the ball out from that left-hand side was was not good at all. But in yeah. in moments when Dembele was trying to get around him and create space, he did quite well to to pivot and stop him, especially after the first few times he was exposed. Unfortunately, you know, Behic, I think age showed. Um, also, his sort of half in half yeah. out form at Dundee. But uh, look, I don't think. There's not really much on that bench that can help to stop Mbappe and Dembele. I think the centered of central defensive partnership was where we got let down the most because we know how physical Sultar can be. We know how physical Rouse can be in the A League. He was he was getting close. He likes to get close to players. He likes to to have that physical duel. And it looked like those two guys just. Um, in the first 25, looked to be up to it with their clearances, but then sat off and invited the French into that sort of penalty area spot, which you just can't do, especially yeah. against a side as good as France. So it's interesting you touch on Bayich and, and kind of the fullbacks. We really do have an issue in those areas. And like I saw, obviously, Atkinson was starting and, and I knew it would be an issue, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hold it against the kid because it's obviously a, it's a massive assignment and he will be better for it long-term. And to be honest, we don't know for sure if anyone else playing there would have, would have actually, um, you know, done, done better um, than him. But Bayich's performance was really worrying, to be honest. I think, look, I get it. It's, it's Dembele. It's tough, but you know, Dembele is definitely the easier option to deal with. Uh, if you're if you're comparing again apples and oranges with with um, Mbappe, but you know his inability to play forward passes and to actually you know help the Socceroos the other way was was really worrying. And of course, then people probably most of them victory fans coming in with the Jason Davidson stuff and and where's Jason Davidson and this sort of stuff. But uh, Cody, what did you make of the of the kind of the fullback situation with the Socceroos? Look, it's the same point. At the end of the day, we can criticise them all we want, but who do we replace them with? I think with the... If I just refer back to the Atkinson and Barbe situation, our more um, battle, we could bring Karacic. Karacic probably is a bit more solid defensively. I didn't think Atkinson was too bad when we did go forward. Unfortunately, you take him out, you bring Karacic in, you lose that. It would be nice if we had a complete right-back in this country where they could do both roles. Unfortunately, we don't. The only other way you fix that issue is if there was talk about us possibly moving to a five-of-the-back formation for this game, maybe that would have helped. And might use the centre-backs to kind of mark those players man-to-man. You don't know. You, you really don't know. And So what, what about- do you think of that? Because that, that's interesting. You mentioned the five-of-the-back. I was just about to mention that because we looked at our inability to deal with crosses. We conceded, you know, three goals from crosses. It's- and obviously, you know, if you've got five-of-the-back, you're going to have hopefully at all times five defenders in the box when 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 the ball goes you know out wide for, for crosses we or at least four spoke so. about, we spoke, well um, the last time we did our we did a podcast mm. we that was Thursday night from memory we spoke yeah. about our ideal lineups and the entire time we kind of spoke about how we'd line up we've had four three at the back four at the back sorry four at the back mm. moving on from that 
I did kind of sit down personally and think about, okay, yeah, if we are playing five at the back, how would we work? How would this work? And honestly, it did seem like it suited us a lot better. We're talking every single issue that came up today and every single issue that you could see leading into the game, it probably does call for a five at the back formation. Now, is that Arnie's fault for not playing it? I could see why he'd want to go at the four at the back because if it didn't work today, people the first thing people would say is why did he change the formation? That's fair enough. I can understand why he did that. Yeah. One thing, one underrated aspect that I think it would have relieved is we are now talking about the Sudar Rails partnership and if it was a good good idea to play them both today when they've never played by side by side before. If you have an extra man in there, it probably does alleviate that. Actually, no, Sudar and Rails did play in the Olympics. My bad, they just hadn't played at um. National yeah, yeah, for the team. for the for the soccerers, yeah, yeah. It's a different kettle of fish, of course, but mm. they did play. I think there was one game they did play through the back with Thomas Dang involved there as well. So yeah, yeah. So players but, that understand yeah. it and understand Underani, but yeah, I do understand in the respect of if it didn't work today, that's where the criticism is going to be pointed. But it alleviates Atkinson's and Bayich's um, defensive incapabilities. Obviously, Bayich, you look back to the last France France games and now. Oh, it does feel like apples and oranges. It does feel like a long time ago. Mm. But both of them can still provide a threat going forward. And setting up like that probably would have allowed us to put a bit more emphasis on that. How it changes going forward, because then you've got to work players like Goodwin and Lecky into this into the formation as well. It's a different story. But I think that is a conversation we've got to have because it's something that, you know, it might have blown up in our faces, but it's something that could have worked as well. And can I just add quickly with that, if you're not going to go far at the back, fair enough, like you said, you haven't tried before, this isn't the stage to try this out, but I feel... But, but is it not though? Sport. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying... Yeah, but I get I'm it. not yeah. going to criticise Arnold on that because we know this is not his thing. Risk-taking is not his thing. No, no. But I'm just saying, oh, hypothetically now, that's fine. You go with four at the back. He didn't have the greatest performance, Atkinson, but I feel as a coach... And as a team in general, I think we let him down by not putting a team effort on Mbappe. You know, he's not your average mm. winger. And it felt like we treated him like the average winger. When you come up with Messi, you don't treat him as a random forward. You treat him as Messi and you try and nullify him. You cannot expect a kid to go up. He was talking before the game. He's got him on his ultimate team. You know, he's coming up against him on his ultimate team. <laughs> You know, you cannot expect him to go and say, yeah, go do the job against this guy. He's well, not you know, that it's, bad. It's interesting He's one of the best that. players in the world. Yeah, because, you know, you talk about, okay, maybe um, we know Arnie's not, you know, big risk taker and stuff, but he could have made a defensive adjustment. And what that could have been was to actually shift and play maybe more of a double pivot and actually have Irvine playing deeper with Moy and both defensively could could cover each side of the pitch. So then that's, that's the one thing just... that I really don't understand from this game, why we didn't play a double pivot. It's yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So what I'm saying is we, we've done in abundance before. So why didn't we do that today? Yeah, and what I mean is, you know, you look at um obviously, you know, out of possession Australia were like a five uh four five one. And you know, you had Irvine and McGree, Irvine kind of as that right sided uh, on the right side of Moy and then and McGree on the left side. But what I'm kind of critical maybe of Irvine a little bit as well and potentially McGree too is that although, you know, they were good in the central areas at times, you know, being combative and helping Moy in those duels and stuff, when the ball went out wide, you know, you need to help out the fullback, particularly in a game like this. You know, you need to be ready in case Dembele, if it's Bayich, you know, Dembele is cutting inside. McGree, you got to be there. If Mbappe, which he often... I mean, Mbappe is just brilliant and he's got the ability to do both, right? Um, but particularly at the start of the game, he would actually take Atkinson to the line more often than not. 
So potentially it wasn't really needed for, for Irvine to be there. But my point around a double pivot is if Mbappe wants to take Atkinson on the inside, you know, you've got maybe Moy there as cover. If he goes down the line or he tries to just beat him 1v1, you know, Suter's coming across, which he did, uh, as I said before, he did really well in the first half. So, you know, there were some, forget about maybe for a second around the debate around Arnold should have, you know, not not gone into our shell and, and we should have been a bit more expansive and, and throughout the game, particularly at 2-1. But there could have, just been some simple defensive adjustments that we could have made just to just to help us out so yeah just to, oh sorry okay yeah just to add to those points you're talking about you know it's sort of the, the respect that mbappe should garner based upon his player profile and what he's done i mean you know he's won the world cup as a very very young player he is the guy at psg PSG had their own problems, but he's the guy. He's he's their franchise player, if I could use an NBA term. Like all Sorry, their Neymar. chips are <laughs> Well, I mean, as far as the higher ups of PSG, I'm pretty sure all their chips are on, on yeah. NBA. No, 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 I, I agree. Uh, yeah. Um, but here's a thing that I, I don't like about the modern soccer in terms of attitude. I feel like in, you know, 2005, 2006, when we hadn't made a World Cup in 32 years and, you know, it was very easy to say, as like, oh, no one expects us to do anything anyway. So if we do something, it's good. You know what I mean? Like they had that sort of no one believes in us or haters going to hate sort of. No thing, one loves us. Gonna... We don't care. That's what yeah, the, exactly. That's what the should be. Defiant doggedness, which as a team that hadn't made a World Cup in a long time, worked. Uh, it did work with a golden generation of talent, but it worked. It got us to a World Cup. It got us results. It got us past the group stage, which was phenomenal. These days, uh, I saw comments made when the Langerak situation was brought up and Vukovic was 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 asked about it. And he says, oh, if, you know, no one expects, you know, wants me here, I don't care, shut all that out, sort of same defined doggedness. It doesn't work when you're a team that's, actually consistently making world cups we've made every world yeah. cup since 2006 you, you can't mentality. have this yeah. yeah you can't have this to find no expects to do anything at a world cup no it's not that no the only reason no one expects you to do anything at a world cup is because you yeah. haven't since 2006 you know, you know it's interesting you mentioned that because again i hate to go back to the saudi arabia thing but look at like the goal from from al dossary right you know that's a guy who clearly believes in his talent you know, he just yeah. got the ball and he was like, you know, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm literally cutting inside and putting this top corner. I don't really uh, care that it's, you know, Argentina or whatever. So maybe, maybe our, you know, attacking players or or midfielders or whoever it is, just our squad in general needs to show more belief in themselves. But to to that point, you know, the manager does need to give that belief to his players. You know, that that's uh, important. And what I'm saying is telling, you know, when you got a player like Riley McGree who we all know has got the creative ability to, you know, we, we saw Matthew Leckie do it, obviously with the goal, you know, terrific, terrific piece of skill to, to get past Lucas Hernandez. But, you know, playing McGree in that kind of role and particularly in the second half, really telling him, hey, look, you know, you're going to be kind of basically playing as like one of three sixes and we're just going to be sitting in for the half. Like if I'm running McGree, I'm like, um, okay, like, you know, I've got ability on the ball and we can actually kind of, maybe release Goodwin, Leckie, Kowal, Mabil later on. Like, you know, we, we've got the ability to to do that. Yeah, it's France, whatever. But I think the, you know, oh, it's, you know, and I understand the, you know, it's France, you know, what a team, you know, we've got to show respect. I get it. But 
there, there is a case to be made around when you start doing too much of that, it starts to affect yourself and you need to believe in yourself. And if, if we've seen anything from, you know, Costa Rica in 2014 or, you know, other sides in previous World Cups. Russia that have, that have, in the last World Cup. Russia I in mean, the last you know, World Cup. A you bit know, of it's, a bad it's word these days. It's self-belief. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's just believing that you can go out and beat any team on their day because every single game at a World Cup is a World Cup final. You know what I mean? It's a cup final. Every single game. It's not just a game in a season. It's those games where it doesn't matter who's put on the park either side, any team can go out and win it. And I think that this sort of defiant, this attitude that was sort of sunk in, and I think, again, it, it, we can go on, like, say Arnold has sort of, you know, he, he was there in 2006. So perhaps maybe his mentality is similar to that of mm. 16 years ago, you know? But it shouldn't be. You know, we're, we're making World Cups. We're doing good things. It's an achievement to get to be one of the top 32 teams in the world by a World Cup qualification. We need to get out of this thing as we're Australia and if we just score a goal against France, we'll be happy. We need to raise the expectations and have some belief in our players. You know, let's let, rattle them off like, you know, second Bundesliga, probably have Connor Metcalf and Jackson Irvine. Metcalf not a part of the squad, but Irvine's a player and he's a player for St. Pauli. He's got talent and St. Pauli... I think they're not doing as good this season, but last season were on the brink of promotion into the, the first year in Germany. If we look at Riley McGree, he's had a great start to life, I think, for Middlesbrough. From what I've seen from him in the championship, he's been a great attacking outlet for them. Scored a banger just a week ago before coming to camp. Um, and you look at the striking options, you know, Mitchell Duke, you can say about how one-dimensional he is and how easy he's played, but he had a good season in the the Japanese second division, which, again, not the greatest division in the world, but he's got talent and you need to utilise that talent. And Craig Goodwin's perhaps the best player in the A-Leagues. I think there's no arguments about that. Mm. And Matthew Leckie has had an awesome start to life at, at, at Melbourne City this season. Like, he's had, had an awesome season. Can We've I, got players. Uh, yeah, can I just come in here? I, the individuals don't care, seriously, because... England had their golden generation of midfields and that meant nothing. They were crap together. So at the end of the day is what you do as a squad together. We say that and every time we go, no one raids us, no one does this. Maybe there's a reason behind it. Have we thought about that? We don't, people don't just wake up and say, I don't rate them. People watch and make a decision on, we don't rate you. And if this is all you've got in the fuel tank, well, it's not going to get you far, is it? The golden generation had that same attitude but no one these days goes and talks, oh, they were rubbish. Why? Because on reflection, they were quite decent. So ignore that, go out there, play your game, and let people in hindsight say, you know what? That was a pretty special group. That's what we're looking for, not this constant, oh, no one likes us, no one wants us. Australia loves you. Australia wants to love you. Give us a reason to get behind you. That's what we're looking for, and we're not always getting it from this. Yeah, Perfect. I think I think um, this type of talk probably needs to be put on hold until the Tunisia game because that's going to be really where we're going to see. The, you know, the Socceroos come out against Tunisia and it's like we're going to take the game to them and we're going to press and we're going to try and dominate possession and this, that and the other. Or is it more of the same of what we saw today, particularly in the second half, where, you know, we're going to show them a lot of respect? I hope it's the former, personally, but I think we've got to wait and see because... 
it's it's not like it's over. You know, Arnie's got he's got um plenty of time to turn this around. You know, the thing is, the if only, you look at well, his track record, you already know it's coming against Tunisia, and that mm-hmm. will be almost more of the same. No, well, I know, I know, well, I know, well, Cody, Cody, well, I know. Well, it's it's well, easy to look, make the assumption. I'm just saying we have to no, wait. I'm not, I'm not making assumptions just yet. What I'm trying to say yeah. is what I really hope that comes from this game is we had that brilliant 25 minutes at the start of the game. And in that, we saw, I said it earlier today already, we saw a roadmap to how this team can play and actually be successful against good nations. Tunisia, no disrespect to them, aren't as good as France. That's that's got to be. Now, I'll be fast. honest. I'll be honest. I've not seen anything from the Tunisia Denmark stuff, Did but I'm hearing that Tunisia. I'm hearing that I Tunisia have, were very dominant. They it. were. I watched pressing. It. Yeah, mm. you know. So mm. all these <laughs> Arab countries together, because North Africa is part of the uh, fraternity, I guess, mm. of the Arab world. They get behind each other. So I'll make a prediction. We are not going to have a 15, 20 minutes like that. We are going to go in a coliseum, and they're going to be coming after us. Did they're you going see to the be crowd? hounding us. They're going to be hounding us, and that crowd is going to be hounding us too. Mm. So I hope they're ready for that. I hope they're not walking in expecting, oh, we did okay to start off against France. We'll do okay to start off against them. Because before you know it, we're still waiting for a win since 2010. It's not about that. It's more about the attitude that we go in with. If we go and we look to get on the front foot early, the crowd, the crowd can piss off. I don't care about the crowd. You focus on the 11 players on the field. Yeah, look, they'll come and they'll press us. If we do the exact same thing, like we did in the first 25 minutes today, we'll be okay. We'll do good in that game because I do believe that we have... I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, we're better than Tunisia. If you look at it objectively, we're probably, on, we're, we're probably on par. But if we go there and we can match them in terms of how we play and we go with a proper game plan that isn't just sit 10 players behind the ball and hope for the best, hope they don't score... If we go out there and actually play some fucking football, we will get a result. Um, I watched the Denmark and uh, Tunisia game, and I got some stats. I got some highlights because I wanted to present them if I had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Lade, Lade Downey, I think I'm butchering that name. I'm not a great pronunciation. Yeah, Jeremy's like, not uh, here, Arabic so we can't name. get the... Yeah, we can't get that. Um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. He, Legit, he would come across and make these big physical slide tackles when Denmark were trying to get a rhythm together through the midfield and the forward line as a midfielder, and he would beat his chest every single time he won that ball. He beat his chest, and it, it, it was like he was he was bleeding that Tunisian flag. Yeah, look, every motion. I, I, think, I think Jack as well. It is easier for the Saudi Arabia's and Tunisia's of this world to kind of behave that sort of way when when they've got like such a raucous crowd behind them i think i do think the socceroos do find it hard to kind of cultivate an actual um like, like an us v us against them mentality when they are you know playing abroad at these world cups it is it is probably more difficult you know it would be be a little bit weird i think if like harry sued to clear the ball and then he like started pumping his chest it's like there's all these I'd, French I'd people around like it. you know what i mean i'd get behind it no no, no yeah, i think yeah, no no we'd get behind it i'm just saying it's like there's a small pocket of soccer who's fans it's like you, you look like an idiot but it shouldn't be about what's in the stands as well if as a team every time you do something good you get around each other look at saudi arabia mm. you can talk about the mm. people that have the fans the fans that have the stands but whenever they did something good, they got around each other. And that's something that, you know, we'll, we've heard all this talk about how good the vibes are in the Socceroos camp and, and everyone's getting along really well. Show it on the pitch. There is no well, reason you know, it's why. Because Lecky came out before the game and he was talking about actually how calm the squad was. And I was a little bit like, okay, it's it's kind of a bit of a comment to, you know, um, 
it's kind of a standard thing you probably give just before a game, to be honest. But then, you know, you watch the first 25 minutes, you're like, shit. Like, they, I know, like, they actually look calm. Like, maybe they're, maybe they're actually kind of together as a squad and this, that, and the other. So, we were comfortable. Uh, the only, yeah. the, look, What's just optimism? There's, there's, yeah. a lot, there's a lot that can be said about this game. But if you do, I'm not even going to play devil's advocate, actually. I'm not going to say that. You look at this objectively, those first 25 minutes are something that we can really take from this game because it was good. And not just in a thing of, oh, yeah, we scored a goal. The way we were playing, we were genuinely on top of them. We let France get back into the game and we changed our mindset. And I keep, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. The only reason we lost that game was the change in mindset. We keep that mindset yeah. throughout the game. Okay, yeah, look, maybe that wasn't the other reason why we lost. But we keep that mindset throughout the game. <laughs> it looks uh, they got, they got, they got a bad habit. No, it's right. It looks better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, that's what I mean. We keep that mindset throughout the game. We're not losing 4-1. And there's every chance we could no, work yeah. our way back into it. We were playing good football. We were creating chances. We keep that mindset. There's still 70 minutes of the game to go. I mean, that Irvine chance is three or four good chances in that game. Mm. We in, 20, in 25 <laughs> minutes. Imagine what we could do in bloody 90 if we play the same way. Yeah, so I think a couple more things on the Socceroos. Matt Ryan, um, you know, we all know about the Mitch Langerak stuff and, and the debate before the tournament and stuff. Is Look, I don't think Matt Ryan is, is the goalkeeper he once was. I think we can all kind of maybe see that, but how how concerning was maybe like look it, it was against France and stuff like that, but I don't think you know particularly on the ball like with the ball at his feet. I understand it's not like the most important thing for a soccer as goalkeeper, but you know it was very kind of you know it just seemed like he was nervy, and I don't know if the talk maybe around his spot is getting to him or anything. Cody, you look very bemused by the way I'm talking. You you even very much disagreement. I I don't look. <laughs> Because I know what this is going to lead into, and I know I've seen the discourse around this already, and it's about should Langerak have his spot. Now, Matty Ryan's our captain, and even objectively, I, I do like Langerak. I think he's a fantastic keeper, but Matty Ryan's our number one. If Langerak was there or not, in the squad or not, it doesn't matter. Matty Ryan was going to play this game. And I look at his performance today. I saw someone somewhere make a comment saying, if Mitch Langerak was there, we wouldn't, they wouldn't have scored. Oh, Jesus. That's ridiculous. That's quite a call. Soccer no, Twitter is just belting out the golden golden moments in in the optimism the first 25 minutes and then the back end of bashing every single player on that pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we spoke about how we played the ball out from the second goal. I don't know if that was a him issue or if it's just a style of play issue. Yeah. Oh, I know I am circling a bit back to Arnie and I do feel bad about that on the conversation about Mich- um about Matty Ryan. But there probably wasn't much more that he could have mm-hmm. done for those four goals. And I'm going to probably say something that's going to... Look, I will criticize... I, look, I understand the second goal was kind of more of a team thing, but I don't really know where he was going. No, like, you're when, the captain. Batten, you need yeah. to have the presence in mind to just boot the thing. Uh, Cody, what were you saying? Look, you wanted to... People, because I know the argument that's going to come out of this is obviously Mitch Langerak was there, a different story. Mm. The last time we, not the last time we played France, so the time before that we played France and we got pumped 6 0, Mitch Langerak was in goals. Now, did he have a bad performance that day? Not by any means. That was his debut. He was still a very young, raw keeper. Good point. We lost 6 0. No one hammered him for a but because he did what he could. And I think Matty Ryan, there was some saves that he pulled off today. He did what he could. Unfortunately, we were just simply outclassed. The same thing happened in 2013. The same thing happened today. This discourse around, oh, if Mitch Langerak was there, it would have been a different story. It's coming because people are pissed he's not in the squad. 
And that's Absolutely. not Matty Ryan's fault. That's a that's a, that's a decision made by Graham Arnold and probably more John Crawley. You can question why John Crawley has that responsibility, but the point is, it's not Matty Ryan's fault that he's picked to start a game. Mm-hmm. If anyone else is in that position, no, I agree. I agree. The reason why the reason why the reason why this is a bit more rife is that when there's claims of nepotism that come out because of that, then that's where fans and passionate fans get pissed off, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I can understand, I can understand that. the claims of nepotism, but we said at the when, in the squad review podcast, is mm-hmm. it really? that bad about the choice of who we're taking as our backup keeper when our starting keeper is going to play every game anyway. Yeah. No, I know um, that, but, going, but there is I... there is a case that Langrak maybe at the moment is better. But anyway, he was that's, not that's... Gonna he was he was never going to start. Yeah. I don't want to make that he's out the squad, that's it, he's done. Yeah. All yeah. I want to say is Matt Ryan couldn't do much for anything today. My only thing is as the captain for that second goal, boot it out. That's the yeah. only thing yeah. for me. Matt Ryan has joined the um, Tommy Urich school of awful transfers. It feels like everywhere he goes, he does. <laughs> yeah, his agent. Starts, I don't know who his strong. agent is, but it yeah, just no, doesn't work. They have the same agent, probably. Yeah. All the people. <laughs> Let me just finish. He just does, it doesn't work. Whatever he's doing doesn't work, and that's fine under a coach. I trust you. You're his captain. I don't think Graham Arnold is the coach after this World Cup. You might be the captain right now, but you are going to have to prove to this new coach mm. that you're his captain and starting goalkeeper too. Get your, you know what, together. Pick a move where somewhere you're going to start, or this is not your spot. It's not as secure as it used to be. And look, you're talking about how he's moved. He's probably not the keeper that he once was. It's true. It is true. But if you are looking forward, if you're looking at the next four year cycle, Langrak's not going to be our starting keeper in that four year cycle. He'll be getting past it too. So go Vic to and Redmayne. <laughs> Vukovic and Redman are getting past it too. And Antonis, you kind of stole my thunder there a little bit. I was going to say, the next hero that's going to come through is going to be Joe Gauchi. So Tom, yes. Tom Glover has a little bit of claim to that as well. He, 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 oh, no, no, don't start, start this. Don't start this. <laughs> this oh, no, right I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, Melbourne City have a, have, have a very good defensive structure. Not that he makes a touch most games, but. Yeah, I'm oh, not no, going I've been impressed with Tom Glover's Achilles heel in the soccer race. Don't get me wrong. I've been impressed with um, Tom Glover at the start of this season. I think Joe Gauchi is objectively a better keeper. That's just an opinion. But but oh, yeah, the, point is, the, point, the point that I'm trying to make is if you're looking at the next four-year cycle and you're looking at the, um, the next coach that comes in, the keepers have got to impress him. Even if Matty Ryan's not the starting keeper, you're not going to go, oh, yeah, we're not going to we're gonna drop this. How old is Matty Ryan? He's like he's in his early 30s now, right? He's, he's definitely past I want to say. Don't know. Don't he's know around that. Mitch Langerak's 34. Um, Redmayne's 33, Vukovic is 37. None of them are going to get the nod in the next World Cup. He's 30 you years old. In. You, you're, looking, you're looking at your gadgets, you're looking at your glovers. They're the ones that you're going to have to fight, fight for your sport with. And arguably, they're probably going to provide more competition. Yeah, yeah. Okay, two more things on Socceroos. Then we can briefly talk about France if, uh, if you want. So Devlin, no Devlin at all. I think I know... If I remember me and Cody, I believe you as well. I think we actually had Devlin in our starting 11s going into this game as as preferred starting 11s maybe. But that was maybe with a hint of, you know, um, being questionable, no, to be honest. About, but... It's all about providing energy and fighting for the shirt. Devlin would have provided that. I think if you're going to start him on the bench, though, by the time we got to the situation where we were when... You're talking about, you're talking about boxing kangaroos. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, look, what I'm trying to say is... Graham Arnold made his subs at 4-1. You're not going to bring Devlin on in that situation. Should he oh, make, no. make yeah, his subs yeah. earlier? Maybe, but 
I don't know. You know, uh, this you was know, the you game. You hear him talk. You hear uh, Graham Arnold talk when he called um, Cam Devlin to tell him, and he tells, "Oh, we're gonna have the <laughs> Cam Devlin in the midfield." <laughs> and I'm like, "You literally know how you're gonna use him." No, 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 no. Don't no. use so him. What I'm saying is, you call Devlin, and Devlin's like openly weeping at the thought of getting the World Cup. Can you imagine if he just goes home with no minutes? It's like he'll <laughs> bang, get bang. minutes. He'll get minutes, but you know you, how you're going to use him. The position is there to use him, and he's much better than the guy you play in that position at that thing. Play him. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of but agree. I, I've watched a fair bit of Hearts football. I love watching the Aussie abroad stuff. And the way he sweeps the midfield would have been very useful against France. He, he's an intense player. He likes to be close to players. But he also has this sense of composure um, in, in a lot of transition scenarios for Hearts. Um, and... For me, he, he would have been, I think, a better option at the position where Moy was today and moving Moy higher up the field, which I think Antonis has touched on, Aaron Moy higher up the pitch could have done something. But um, to not, you know... If I think a double pivot is just probably the easiest solution, to be honest. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but, um, you know, we can reflect on that. End of the day, we've we got to move on from this. And yeah. if we're going to move on and move forward, I think Devlin has to get minutes against Tunisia because I think he can add an intensity that was not displayed post the first 25 minutes today. And Tunisia, they're ranked 30 in the world. We're 38th. You know, they are not a slouch, though. They played fantastic against Denmark with no fear. They're not going to show us any sort of respect. And a player like Cameron Devlin is, is a player you want in your, your team when, when a team that you could ugly beat is coming at you fast, thick. Well, he's going to fight back. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a, if you're talking about boxing kangaroos, he's the boxing kangaroo of this squad. All right? boxing kangaroos and Aussie DNA. That. There you go, Cody. He's got Aussie Day Day, boxing kangaroos. He's a weight fix kid. He's a veggie mind. I don't know. <laughs> you want to talk about um midfielders for the Tunisia game? I think we've got to remember Hustich will hopefully be fit for that too. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. So the Tunisia game. So the other thing is the striker situation. So look, again, I've got to open that kernel of worms. Um, and if if Australia go to a three at the back, could there be an option of playing a front two, which would you know, Antonis, we've touched on this before, probably suit Jason Cummings to actually start from the start. But could could they even be like a Cummings-McLaren partnership? Is Or is Duke just a, still a lock for Tunisia? Is it, for me, it's determinant on however the soccerers want to approach the game. If they want to, seriously, if they are going to be, you know, a team which is going to press Tunisia and actually try and hold the ball and control the game, then McLaren has to start. I mean, that's what he does in his club side, yeah, does he not? Yeah. So I, I just think that's a no-brainer. Agree. He's an engine guy. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, up front, he's a dog. You talk about you talk about Duke's <laughs> pressing and and Duke chases lost courses and stuff. And look, that's great and stuff. But McLaren is actually an intelligent presser. You know, we've seen that for 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 quite a while now at Melbourne City. So, anyway, it, it, what's what's your thoughts on that going into Tunisia? Um, Are you going to play to your striker's strength? Mm. That's yeah. my question. Oh, we're gonna get a if not, in the if, game. Not, <laughs> if you're not, just keep. Mitch Duke on they kick long balls to him, let him press and enjoy. You know, otherwise don't even bother. And Tonus, that's a that's a really good point you bring up. Um, you know, we, we gotta the Arnold needs to flick the switch here. Uh, if he wants anything out of this tournament, which everyone back in Australia wants something out of this tournament, 
I, I dare say most of those players on that pitch, considering the ages, you know, there's a lot of young players there. There's a lot of players who want to show what they've got and and, and perhaps want to get some moves so they can, mm. you know, progress in their careers. Um, you got to flick the switch. If you're going to play Jamie McLaren up front, which I think you should definitely start against Tunisia, without a doubt, in my mind, he should start with Cummings coming off the bench as an, op- as an option in the second half. You've got to have uh, a midfield that is willing to press. You've got to have fullbacks that are willing to be physical on the sidelines, who are willing to, to be dominant, you know, putting in challenges, getting shoulder to shoulder, trying to get on top of the Tunisian guys who, who are very physical. They were physical against Denmark. Um, and you've really got to bring in, suck in that uh, uh, Tunisian defence. Jamie McLaren is very good at coming and collecting the ball and just trying to keep it moving, um, even just around the centre circle um, when you sort of do transition from defence and attack. And that that comes if um, some midfield intensity. I think Horustic doesn't really give off much of an intense fire, but he's certainly an accurate passer. He can progress the ball very well has some good technical ability. I think Aaron Moy still retains his spot for his passing ability and what he can provide going forward. But again, I've touched on Cameron Devon. I'm going to keep this brief. Devlin's the one for me that really just solidifies that. I think Irvine would be great as a refresher against Tunisia, depending on the game situation. That's my personal opinion. I don't think Irvine deserves to be benched. But I think against Tunisia, it is an option if we can keep playing with that three in the midfield. And we do want to take the game to Tunisia with a J-Mac up front. If you have J-Mac up front, you've got to take the game to him. That's that's the bottom line. I think the other thing is, look, we didn't see him today, which is, that's fine. Um, but I'd like to see Marco Tilio maybe get some minutes off the bench against Tunisia. Look, I understand he's been brought in as this, this kind of injury replacement for Martin Boyle. But you mentioned there, Jack, around players actually playing for moves potentially to Europe and stuff like that. I mean, Tilio would would definitely be in that kind of category for me um, because we know about some of the talk when he wasn't in the Melbourne City squads, uh, starting 11s, rather, at the start of the season and and people saying, you know, maybe he's good enough to go to Europe already. You know, maybe he should just go. Who cares about starting How do you look like he's got to be good enough to go to Europe? You know, PK, he might be be on a plane. Just don't follow him. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would actually argue against that because I think that Tilio um, lacked a little bit of confidence heading into the, the start of the A-League season. I think he needed that that sort of um, that lack of minutes just to sort of kick him back into gear and to ease him back in. And since then, he's been playing fantastic for Melbourne City uh, on that right wing. So, look, I mean, say what you want about how Kiz Norbo in press conferences, you know, felt like he was abandoning the, the Tilio bandwagon. If you know anything about, obviously, the A-League's access and, and some of the comments that Marco Tilio has come out and said um, publicly, I, I think that he sees him as a nurturing boss. I think that's a good route for him. But I think Marco Tilio, if he keeps up what he's doing at club level and he does get minutes in this World Cup, he's definitely an... Uh, a prospect that could be off to Europe in the January transfer window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, just like in to the say, World Cup, know, yeah. uh, just quickly in the World Cup, he did in the first game. Do not wait until the game is won or mm. lost. Make changes. Make changes 
to actually affect the game, not for the sake of using them like old mate Bert did four years ago that served up the same starting lineup, only changed um, one change up front because... Um, Antonis, so you injured. love Bert, don't you? I think Bert was a good manager that was put in a very crappy situation and he just went with what he was comfortable with. Yeah. So, but um, Arnold doesn't have this excuse, does he? He's been here now since 20, right after the World Cup. He's familiar with his players, what they provide. You know them, use them when it matters. In 2018, we had a manager that had faith in probably 12 players and then used <laughs> That's another a lot. three or four for the sake of it. We have a manager now for all his flaws, has genuine faith in all 26 players in this Yeah, no, but we, no, no, no. We, no, we have see, to see that by him giving opportunities to some of those players, though, as well. And but, if we don't see him make those rotations in these games, we've got then, then we've got to start questioning him. But yeah, we've got this Tunisia game. It's definitely going to be a different style of game. Use the different players. Maybe we start Mobile in this game. Maybe Tilio is a good player to come off the bench. Devlin should be used somewhere in this match as well. There's definitely room to adapt our, our squad, our starting lineup, and the decisions we make during the game for Tunisia. We've got the room. We've got the squad. I think if you look at the pool of players we've got to select from in this World Cup squad, it is better than 2018. We've got the opportunity to. We need to make sure we do it. Just to add on to Antonis's point about make changes to affect the game, you have the biggest game effect, you know, producer in Grand Qual in the A-League, mm. who's literally throughout his whole senior career up until this point is the guy you bring on when you just need something to happen, not when you're 4-1 down. Like, again, Antonis touched on this, but for the love of God, if it is 1-1 against Tunisia or it's 2-1 against Tunisia He's come on. and He's... we go on the halftime, bring him on. Get Even him on there. Even if we're winning, that guy, yeah. if you get yeah. 30 minutes on the field, he will make an impact in this match. It's just He came on with 13 minutes. And he came on when Australia had basically thrown in the towel as well. So he was getting no service. Particularly because Lecky, Lecky looked very tired by the second half, he, yeah. you know, because he, he was chasing a lot of lost causes and things like that. And he, he they just need a refresher on the right side. Yeah. He could have came on in the 50th minute. He, yeah. he could have came on in the 50th minute, especially because I think at the start of the first half, before they got their third goal, I think we came out of the blocks really well. And that was the time. That was the time when we came out of the blocks pretty well out of the, the second half before they scored their, their third goal. That was the time to bring on Granquo. That that was it. This is and where I'm getting at. You know, how many World Cups are these players going to go to? How many times are you going to have the world champions on the ropes? What I said, go no regrets it. before. Go yep. for it. Go for it. We are here looking at them and saying, we worked so hard. We stayed up and watched the Peru game, screaming and said, we're going to get this chance. And you finally get this chance and you go out without trying. Come on. Mm. You say you're going now because the players aren't trying or is it just simple decisions that were made during the game, though? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, it's not going, it's not on the players, put it that way. I'm not putting this on just the players. It's one criticism. I've seen people mm. absolutely hammer and rip in a certain players in that match. I understand no, certain no, no. criticism. Um, Atkinson's defensive ability can be called in a question. I think that's probably one thing we can take out of this game in terms of how we look at the players. But I don't think you need to personally attack him for it. That's what I'm saying. No one. Sorry? No, I, I wouldn't that? say you You know, need to personally attack yeah. Nathaniel Atkinson. If he's got, it's not about personally attacking him. Like yeah. it's, it's a point that can be raised, mm. but I'm not here for criticizing. Oh, see, it's, that's, it was just a bunch of shit players on the field. They don't care. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. We have no, a, well, that's, we that's have just people who have 
we have yeah, players no that are willing yeah. to die for the shirt. It it's outside. It's what they're being told to do. That's I'm where the not, right now. I'm not going to go out and bash players. In the oh room. no, it wasn't. Me. Excuse me, I was when, just making no, a no, point. No, no, no. When we, no, I'm pulling a point. I'm not going to ever go after less than twelve, less than five, six, seven hours before Saudi Arabia goes and upsets Argentina. I'm not going to go out and say players aren't good enough. No, he no. saw a perfectly think... good example of what players can do when directed well with a strong plan that stays consistent and the players buy into fully and works against the opposition. For me, like I said, with Atkinson, for example, for me, it's not about attacking him personally or his lack of defensive now in those situations because we all know that's Nathaniel Atkinson. We all are aware that he's a great attacking player with some problems going back. You'd think that going up against one of the best wingers in the world, his coach will have a foresight of supporting him through that. Yeah, and well, I we think about, we spoke about yeah, the, Cody, the yeah. three at the back um, at the start of this podcast. That's that Nathaniel Atkinson's natural position is a right wing back. Hmm. You put that defensive pressure on him, he does struggle every now and then. So maybe the thing we look at defenders, most of them do play three at the back at club le- at club level. Mm. So it, I, I know I'm going back on the point that we spoke about before. It's it is something that I do find quite interesting, and I think oh, part of me did wish we'd saw it today. But um, yeah, look, overall point, Nathaniel Atkinson. We're talking about how maybe some aspects of his game can be questioned. But if I see anyone sit here and try and bash the Socceroos and say you guys aren't good enough, so I'd never want to see you in a jersey again. Piss off. No. Nah, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. So people might say, oh, you know about me, I'm just like a Mitch Duke hater. Well, not really, because I'm talking about Mitch Duke when the team isn't set up right. What I'm saying is, if we go against Tunisia and we press and we hassle and we're just like all over them and we're trying to play our football, then that's where you're going to see, okay, where's our strengths and where's our weaknesses that could actually undo us? Because if Jamie McLaren is playing in that game and he's going to miss like four chances or something like that, well, then I'm going to criticize Jamie McLaren and rightly so, right? So what I mean is, if you look at 25 minutes today, I mentioned the Jackson Irvine thing before and, and my concern around him on the ball. Now, that those were still prevalent when we were on top. So that that's kind of what I mean, where you need to take note of these things when you're playing well. Too. Maybe not, I wasn't having a go at you or anything I, like that, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. no, again, no again, if I could no, no, jump in. I understand exactly what you're talking about because I've seen the exact same stuff on Twitter where you know people are, are very, you know, they're just... They haven't done their research. They don't know well, what I've these seen, guys are doing I've overseas. They don't know about say, the profile of these players. I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, Duke shouldn't be in the soccer squad. Duke should never wear a soccer jersey again. Duke offers something to our game. I, I've said it to you. I don't know if I've said it on a podcast on record before, but I know I've said it to you personally. The mm. thing with Duke is if you use him correctly, he is a very good player. Should he be a starting striker in general? No. Mm. But he, he can bring something to a game. And I understand what your, the points you made about should he be starting in this game. I think he does, he he would have provided us a physical edge. But you, but know, you know what I mean, Cody, is what I'm saying. That, yeah. It does come back to the same point we keep making where look how many people that we're talking about in this squad that aren't used correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I mean is against Tunisia, <laughs> you look at Duke, okay, he's a bit of an aerial presence. Against Tunisia, if we start to get the ball into wide areas and we're going to say, okay, we want to get balls in the box and we want to s- supply Duke like this and he gonna, he's going to take chances and he scores or something against Tunisia, well, I'm going to praise him for that. Right, See, and I'm going to say, hey, we actually played to his strengths. Perfect. I, I do hope in, with Tunisia we can play the ball on the floor a bit more. That's mm. probably the only yeah. thing I say to that. Just, no, if no, I just absolutely. jump in. 
uh, on this like play thing. I again, like I explained it before, I'm no way Aaron Wehey. I'm actually a really great admirer of the guy. It, okay, uh, this is just a personal anecdote. There's there's someone who goes to my gym in uh Leichhardt here in Sydney. Um, he's actually been a part of the Australian uh, uh coaching. I'm not going to drop his name because he hates people knowing about yeah. his past during football. Um, but he uh he he's coached in you know west was it westfield sports high where aaron moy went to school he he's watched him grow up and he's got every single criticism under the sun about aaron moy's game and every yeah. time he tells me a criticism i just say look what the guy's done all right look what he's done he went overseas to scotland and england he was rejected on first look came back to australia rebuilt himself as a player and a human went back to england to the premier league and for a good 18 months was was playing some extremely good football for Huddersfield whilst they were trying to make their their play at being a Premier League worthy side. And for me, that's that's enough for me to admire Aaron Moy. And again, we're talking about how many players are just misusing this squad. I think Aaron Moy today in this situation against France was misused. You know, I said he dropped his head, but again, it's it's France. When you go behind against a world champion, it's very hard to, to keep that upbeat. You know, it's something that I, I hope that um, doesn't stick with him because I think when Aaron is hot, he is hot. We've seen it with Celtic this season. You know, he's not done. He's not finished, Aaron Moy. He's certainly not finished. No, it's I was, just I was about very, I was finding very, out the creases. Yeah, I was very impressed by, by, by his start of the game. I think the subtext of all of this is, are you being negative because you want to be negative? Or have you done your research and you've looked at the facts and you've gone, actually, no, it's actually fair to criticize this player. Or, Robbie Slater or... complex. Yeah. <laughs> Robbie Slater does his research. Robbie Slater is probably a little bit blinded. I, by... I'm joking, of course. No disrespect. No, no, no. no. Look, I, and I do, look, I wouldn't want to be in Robbie Slater's position. Uh, he does cop a lot of criticism, but look, you can sit here and say, oh, if I was in that position, I'd be very objective. If you, one of your close mates is in that position, you're probably going to want to throw a supporting hand. I'm not. Is he doing it at the level that he does? No. Probably not. I don't mind him supporting his friend. What I mind is we were in a very, very, very similar situation just over four years ago, and the guy in charge wasn't his mate. And we saw how he oh, was well, singing off that. It is a double So double defend yeah. your friend, but don't you dare put someone else under the bus under the same situation. That's what I've got with Robbie Slater. Be a good friend, but... When it's time to do your job, you better not be showing a double standard. Okay, Robbie, if you listen to the podcast, Antonio just gave some life life advice. Okay. Um, anyway, but what could we expect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, let, let's just touch on France a little bit because um, obviously we knew Benzema wasn't going to play, and it was going to be interesting to see what would happen there. But it's funny because Olivier Giroud in the last World Cup was heavily criticised for being. This, this guy was a part of success, but didn't really contribute to it. And then off the mark straight away in this game, he's, he's you know, scored twice and played really a, a brilliant game uh, as a, as a centre forward. I would say did he contribute to that success. Didn't he score a, a few goals off the off the bench for France? And as a starter, was a very good pivot striker in 2018. No, I don't think he scored in 2018. He didn't score. He didn't did score. he not that score? Was the, well, okay, no, okay, so a little, yeah. bit of, little bit of fogginess. It was four years ago and yeah. I was 18 and I did not know much. Um, but Olivier Giroud, he, as a contributor for France, he, he, is 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 awesome. I think since his move from Arsenal, 
Um, and I see that flag in, in, in your background there, Antonio. Antonio, this, this is what happens. This what happens when players when people swap people Arsenal leave Chelsea. Arsenal. Yeah, they get better. Nah, no, just kidding. <laughs> one player in but, the last um, twelve years. Anyway, <laughs> uh, just just to continue about Giroud, I think that what he does well is he knows his limits. He knows his limits physically. He knows his limits as a player, as a technical sort of a skill level as well. And what he does well, um, and this could be down to Didier Deschamps, how he sets up the team today um, against Australia, you know, with Griezmann in behind him as sort of this little number 10 that's also an energizer bunny who can progress the ball faster. Mm. So she drew, doesn't have to come back and collect as much. Um, that That's the beauty about Giroud. He's a finisher who knows his, his strengths, he knows his weaknesses. That comes with experience. Obviously, he's heavily experienced at national team level. And I, I was super impressed by Olivier Giroud and his movement and, and how he, after we talk about the first 25, I'm going to talk about the first 25 again, how he sorted them out. That was his settling period. He saw where the gaps were. He saw where the opportunities were to score. And he, and he took them like a esteemed professional that he is and a world champion that he is. You say that he knows his limits, but if you see his top 10 goals highlight reel and he sees a kick today, yeah. I think he's got much higher thoughts of himself, but that's besides <laughs> the point. One thing, though, coming into this tournament, I thought, okay, they've got Benzema now, and even though he is a fantastic striker, I think Giroud actually fits in this team a lot better because we say he didn't contribute much in 2018, but just his presence that allows him to link up all these quality players France has, that allows him to take a defender away or their attention away because he's there and he can score. Like well, I, actually, I actually said it, Antonis. I said it before the game. I was actually a little bit more worried about Giroud than yeah, Benzema, absolutely. which sounded ridiculous because, you know, it's, it's Benzema's Ballon d'Or winner. But Giroud's a better link player. Uh, because and, they play to his yeah. strengths. We're talking about France. <laughs> they, they play to his strengths, you know, and he, more importantly, he plays to the, his team's strengths because mm. number one, he can get these players involved. Number two, he's not the big ego that he feels like France has a lot of. He's just a player that's happy to be there, you know. He's coming from this malign striker to today equaling Thierry Henry's record. Mm for most goals in the French shirt. So I think he's just happy to be there. And I think his teammates are very happy to have him there. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, as I said before, that's what happens when you sign for great clubs um, uh, like like Chelsea. So anyway, um, the other, <laughs> the other oh, thing. Oh, damn. <laughs> the other what about thing. great clubs like AC Milan? Come on. Great clubs. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so... The the other thing about France, I said was interesting kind of going into the tournament was seeing how their midfield was going to work with, with you know, these young midfielders and stuff. And I thought also Canate was an interesting inclusion from the start. And I thought actually, as soon as I saw Canate, I was actually kind of more worried because he's just an absolute beast um, physically and, and aerially and, and with 50-50 duels. And uh, you saw how much Duke kind of really struggled to win any sort of duel against him. But I thought this trio of Canate, Upamecano as the as the partnership, and then Shulmany in front, they kind of embodied France's real slow start, and they were really kind of, you know, maybe nervy. They were youngsters playing for, you know, the reigning world champion, you know, so it, it, you could kind of understand the, the nerves going into it. But as the game went on, like, they really grew into it, and you could see, like, how much that, that defensive pairing really impose himself as the game went on. I mean, Australia could just get nothing um, by the end of the game and they were just intercepting everything. And sure, many as a, as a lone six was just 
I mean, he's just started to dictate everything by the end of it. And uh, his decision-making, his movement off the ball to, to get in position to receive is very impressive. And uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. So Another... I'd like to... Oh, you go. Sorry, I'd like to highlight Adrian Rabio because that's someone who I really wanted to talk about who really impressed me. Um, if we're talking about sort of a player who's had to rebuild um, sort of a career, I mean, you know, it wasn't like it was down and out, but... He, he slid out of favour um, before moving to Juventus and he had to come back from that. He was linked with Manchester United, I think, in um, the, the transfer window, which is a move that I think either Juventus flat out just said, stop talking to us, or he said that to Man United as well. Are you sure I don't know what was involved. In- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his performance today was truly impressive. 90% pass accuracy. Uh, an XG, you know, he did score a goal, extra 0.2, so not the highest, but um, expected assist 0.3, which is, if you know anything about XG, that's quite high for expected assist. It means he's progressing the ball really well. Um, yeah, well, the funny, had the funny nine thing passes about... into the final third, yeah. one accurate cross, two, um, one accurate cross out of one, 100% of all of his, ac- his long balls were accurate. Defensively, very strong, 80% tackles one. Uh, two recoveries, one interception. Um, and may, about his jewels, not the strongest numbers, 56%, 67%. But if you look how France set up, he wasn't set up to just, you know, win a 50-50 with Irvine and McGree because he sat off and then he would pick them apart um, defensively in terms of interceptions. So uh, I wanted to highlight him because he was the player who, who really impressed me, who I've sort of lost touch with as a football fan uh, through, you know, him not getting as much applause as he once did, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think the other thing is, and we uh, we discussed in the preview on on, on our World Cup podcast, um, and I'm sure Jeremy will go into more detail around the French side of things uh, when, when that next episode drops. But with Rabio, Jeremy made a comment around him being, you know, Deschamps' son. And, you know, he's kind of in, in the team because he's just a favourite of Deschamps. But... And also with Juventus uh, being, you know, so poor really at the start of the season in particular, not of late, they've, they've definitely turned things around. And he's been a big part of that and a shining light for them. And then for him to to come in and actually, you know, play like this. And I actually looked at the teams. And I was like, oh, Rabiot's starting. You know, that's all right. Good. Um, sort at of thing. He and wasn't he scored. So all. that was great. Um, yeah. But I think as well, just want to touch on Mbappe because look, from the French side of things, they might look at it and think, you know, it's Australia, you know, he's playing a young kid uh, in Atkinson. You know, we kind of maybe expected this, but I mean, this guy is, he, he's just starting to toy with defenders when, when he gets on the pitch, right? And, you know, what, watching him today, the the variation that he has in what he can do in particularly 1v1s is, is really impressive. I mean, he can, you know, his crossing ability is very good as well. He, and he played more like a winger today, of course, uh, with, with Drew being more of the center forward, but we know he can play as a center forward as well and stuff like that. What th- this tournament for him is is a big one because we know with with Messi and Ronaldo, you know, maybe getting on a bit, and and of course we know about speaking of Ronaldo, fucking big news this morning uh, with him, of course. But uh, with Messi and Ronaldo, maybe passing that mantle on. I mean, he has a big opportunity Mbappe to really put his uh, hand on that on that mantle, particularly with I guess Erling Haaland not participating in this World Cup. So yeah. Look, the thing with Mbappe, and we spoke we spoke a little bit about um, before about 
oh, if we show him this way, he can do this, or show him that way, we can do that, and just have balance on how you're going to stop him and double-team him. Someone like him, and it's probably a poor attitude that you have this in Australia, but someone like him, sometimes you think the only way you can stop him is if you just kick him. <laughs> and that's where... You, um, Aussie DNA, baby, Aussie DNA. <laughs> yeah, Jack, I know you spoke before about... um bringing someone like Karachin is a little bit more physical. And I do wonder maybe if we did have someone that was just going to square up to him, if there's one flaw in Mbappe, it's probably his um, attitude. If you go in hard on him, he could probably lose it a little bit. So if we had done that today, maybe it would have been a, di- a different game. But, yeah, he's not watching him today. He's an unbelievable player. And it does make you think, like, you know, maybe just one breaks a tackle on him, maybe he slows down a little bit, but he's, he's, a, he's a joy to watch. He had a very, very good game and he really travelled Atkinson. But I think when we scored, we had this sliding door moment that we were celebrating what was happening on the French side. We saw Lucas Hernandez down injured and who came on to replace him? And his brother, Theo Hernandez, who's actually really, really helped their cause because Lucas is more of a defensive left back his primary position is also he plays a lot as a center back whereas Teo is one of the best left backs attacking wise in the world and he came on and he really showed that and who assisted our first goal Teo Hernandez you know so it was a real sliding think, um, doors moment yeah I think Antonis you know we talk about maybe Australia not having an understanding of how to use the individuals I would say this about the Champs he's I wouldn't say he's he's obviously made a lot of achievements. I wouldn't say he's maybe the best manager in, in one of the best managers in the world. But what he does do is he knows how to use his squad accordingly. And I think that, you know, Jeremy pointed out that France usually actually line up with like almost four centre-backs, right? Um, but, you know, he, they have that flexibility where they can bring on, you know, Theo Hernandez or, you know, um, proper right-back if they need to, to to replace Pavard and actually like play a bit more expansively like that as well. So, you know, obviously we don't have that luxury, um, and, and they do, and and they certainly used it, uh, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to touch on, you know, Didier Deschamps as a as a manager. Obviously, that early change was forced through injury, um, but you know, he he knows what Hernandez did, and he knows Teo. I mean, um, he knows what Teo's capable of, and I think um, what I saw was in, you know, with France in possession. Um, in their own sort of half, I saw Teo more or less jumping forward. You know, Lucas Hernandez was sort of coming towards the centre-back to come and collect the ball and, and to get it moving out of that area, whilst Teo was like, hey, let's just get it up the pitch. I've got some pace on me. I've got a nice touch. If you can get it to me on this wing, I can make something happen out here. And, and was very active what he did when he did come on. And I think that, again, if we're talking about Mbappe, you talk about the person behind him, you know, Mbappe, not saying he was not in the game until Taya came on. I mean, it was only 13 minutes, but I think certainly that combination played a factor because Mbappe was chucking out these little flicks to Teo. It looked like they'll, they'll it looked like they'll Mbappe was really side. enjoying himself in the second half. Like oh. he was just like flicking the ball around and shit like this. He, he just didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a bold claim about Mbappe and his his prospects for his career in relation to where he currently sits in the in the dynamic as sort of that third, you know, I mean Benzema quite rightly won the Ballon d'Or this year. But um, if you look at looking at it objectively, he's in. He's you know, there's Ronaldo, there's Messi. Maybe not Ronaldo now, but like if you're looking at 
the current crop. There's Ronaldo Messi, and he's sort of the next one to take take the the reins, right? Um, if Mbappe goes back to back with World Cups, and he doesn't do a Brazilian Ronaldo and shoot both his knees out before the age of what twenty four, Mbappe, we could be watching the 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 outright greatest player if he can go back to back with world cups and keep going with his career the, the the skills he has his pace his athletic ability like you know we just saw messi lose to a saudi arabia team who was very courageous and i'm not i'm not hanging anything on saudi arabia because they deserve to win that game hands down the way they played their football the way they 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 put their their country on show you know the the, the pride they played with deserve to win but Mbappe just seems to win games at tournaments, you know, especially the big one, which is the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I think uh, I think that just about does it. I reckon we're clocked in about an hour and a half here. So uh, there definitely was a lot to unpack. And um, yeah, any, uh, any last thoughts? One thing I actually did want to touch on just... Uh, before we really finish off, is Australia today, you know, we talked about the three at the back and and potentially setting up against Tennessee with three at the back. It was interesting in possession, Australia actually did kind of play out with a three. They kind of formed a three when you had Bayich really more higher and then and then Atkinson would tuck in next to Suter and Rolls and they kind of build, their, their build-up phase was kind of a little bit like that. So I don't know if that's something that, uh, you know, Arnold just thought about to be to set up a bit more like that in possession and and out of possession, obviously be be compact and rigid. But I think it's maybe something that they're working on in terms of building out building up with a three. So um, that potentially could mean we, we see it against Tunisia. But uh, any any other thoughts from from you guys before we go? No. Yes. Hope, no. It's, it, again. Lose. Again. Again. Antonis, it's an audio show. <laughs> I hope England lose all the time. I, I I cried when Iran couldn't put up a dogged defense against England. I hate England Pretty impressive so much. Win by England, I, I have to say. Yeah. Oh, impressive win! I just hate England. I, I'm I'm <laughs> unlike unlike a lot of Anglo Aussies like myself. I have no love for them whatsoever. I'm gonna say England, with a name like Jack to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it has Irish roots, so I have a little bit of blood boiling. But England can can stuff off. I hope they. They blitz the group and they get to the round of 16. They get knocked out by some, you know, who got through on a whim. Absolutely. All right. Um, uh, just Cody, quickly, Cody, Tim, Cahill, Tim Cahill has predicted Qatar to knock out England, so watch out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Look, I love, I love this country. I love football in this country. We're here because we're passionate about it. Today, a day like today, absolutely sting because you know exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be people. birthday today, right, as well? Um, there's there's going to be people that come out once every four years, watch the soccer is at the World Cup and just go, oh, yeah, see, look, football in this country is shit. To those people, I say, one, get involved in it because it is actually a lot better than you think. And two, if you really are going to keep up with that snobby attitude and you're not going to give it a chance, then just don't bother talking One day we'll be able to say, you I missed, Cody, you, so. you missed what I said. Cody, you missed what I said. It's your birthday oh, today, missed, right? Yeah, I missed completely. Sorry? It's your birthday today? Oh, yeah, that too. I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, can no, I so just, just, just think a little bit more quickly to yeah, Cody's no, point? Done. Quickly to Cody's point, people that say, Oh, Australian football is rubbish, you say get involved. Re- big reason why it's rubbish is because people like you who are football fans 
elsewhere don't support football in your own backyard. So that's a big reason why you perceive it as rubbish. Uh, I do. I do. I am aware that saying that on a day like today probably is counterintuitive because people can just look at it and go, oh, look, you guys just got smacked by France. But um, look, it's very frustrating in that regard. I hate when people just constantly put it down. And today, like today's like today, give people more ammunition for it. So, yeah, I think it's just the, but what I'm trying to say is today sucks. Yeah, right, today let, sucks, but, you know, I told you so. One day it'll be not just a banner, it'll one actually One day be... we're going to do really well at a World Cup, and to all the people around me that constantly put down the soccer is in Australian football, I am going to put on so hard. Yes. All right, let's, let's so move on do. before this podcast turns into one about soccer Twitter, okay? Um, all right, so... In terms of uh, moving forward, obviously we'll, we'll have uh, we'll have reaction pods to every one of the Socceroos games like this, and uh, you can also catch our World Cup podcast uh, hosted by Jeremy McGann as well, which uh, which will hopefully have uh, more episodes coming out uh, throughout the tournament on the Front Page Football Podcast Network. So yeah, and hopefully might have another podcast coming soon as well on there. So uh, that's it from us. And uh, yeah, hopefully the Socceroos can turn around against Tunisia. We'll be back with a reaction pod from that game soon. 